Hello from the International Monetary Fund. I'm Bruce Edwards. Today's podcast is on Rwanda's changing job market. One of the, the puzzles, I think, in South Southern Africa is how to switch from a very small company of two to three people into a 10 or 20 or 30. You know, the, it seems in terms of the number of people working in firms, you sort of get stuck at five or six people. But while businesses are generally smaller in sub-Saharan Africa, IMF senior economist Alan Thomas says Rwanda is seeing a growing number of them. Thomas is the author of a research paper on Rwanda's labor market, published by the IMF, that shows a strong movement out of agriculture and into small household enterprises. And given Rwanda's limited growth potential in agriculture due to its size, Thomas says household enterprises have a significant role to play in maintaining the country's strong growth. What surprised me uh, in uh, reading the introduction to your research paper was how Rwanda's growth has, has been so strong since 1995. And that struck me as, as interesting, given that, you know, just a year earlier that the country was going through like, one of the greatest human tragedies in history. What is it about uh, Rwanda's economy that allowed it to start growing at, at rates of 8%, you know, just a year after the, the genocide in ninety four? Well, I think there are a number of factors that are associated with this excellent performance. Um, first of all, of course, when you start from nothing, um, there's a sort of a base effect. Uh, so you, countries that uh, tend to come out of civil wars uh, do grow fast uh, initial period. I think what's remarkable about Rwanda, the fact that this growth momentum has continued for 20 years, uh, and a lot of that has to do with the strong policies of the, the government. I think the government was very much aware of the need to to recreate, re-establish many different uh, aspects of the economy. Um, and it's been very strong on issues related to governance, accountability uh, across all the sectors. Uh, I think the fact that the country is small has, has helped as well to sort of manage that. Uh, and they have very sort of unique Rwanda-specific um, uh, measures that they've taken, such as what's called Umaganda, once a month all the population gets together and does a community project, cleaning roads, uh, building schools. So there's a very corporate sort of sense of, of ownership of the growth process and the, and the benefits. As in most uh, sub-Saharan African countries, uh, agriculture in Rwanda has been by far the, the largest sector. But your research shows employment moving away from agriculture and into uh, especially the the services industry. What's driving that change? Well, I think, you know, the movement from agriculture into services and manufacturing is a natural uh, process of structural transformation and has been documented uh, widely elsewhere. Uh, What's interesting about Rwanda is that it's been happening at a fairly quick process. Um, There's been quite a strong movement out of agriculture. Part of this is related to the fact that productivity has improved. Um, But also, and you see this uh, in many places, that People will start working full-time in agriculture after a while, then they sort of move on to sort of non-agricultural activities in order to improve household income, household welfare. And at that point, sometimes they will uh, try to work full-time then in, in the alternative occupation because it brings um, higher welfare, higher consumption. Um, so you've seen that happening quite quickly in, in Rwanda. Uh, what you've seen, though, is the moving into the services sector, not so much the manufacturing sector. And that differs. That 
uh, makes uh, Sub-Saharan Africa different from Asia, for example. Um, not even Rwanda, which is also set to the side as a stellar case, has been able really to make a big push into industry manufacturing. The, the movement has been into into services, and many low value added uh, services, uh, trade, or uh, haircuts, you know, selling small goods on the road. Um, and so in, that obviously still needs to be encouraged because it's certainly improved welfare. But I think um, looking forward, they'll probably be looking for industries where they provide a higher value-added content, so you're moving up the productivity chain. So your paper looks at uh, small household enterprises as an alternative to formal sector jobs. Uh, do these young entrepreneurs take home less money generally than uh, someone who has a formal sector job? Well, I think this is the a big interesting finding uh, that some of my research has shown is that contrary to the widespread uh, sentiment uh, out there, um, people in, in household enterprises, actually, their welfare, their consumption is actually as high as those uh, earning formal sector jobs. Um, so we did some work looking at the distribution of consumption across all households based on these household surveys. And if you sort of map the distribution of consumption for the household enterprises against the equivalent distribution for wage earners, they're, they're almost on top of each other. And do you think moving forward that these small household enterprises uh, have a role to play, uh, you know, across the board in the region? You know, I think so generally. I mean, if you look at the employment pattern in Rwanda compared to Kenya and Uganda, Tanzania, you know, they're not that different. Kenya, of course, would have the highest uh, ratio of formal employment because it's a it's a country that, uh, you know, had industrialized at an earlier point. But even in Kenya, you know, household enterprises still play a big role. So I do think that... Uh, but this group is key and, and will continue to uh, to generate a lot of employment growth going forward. One of the, the puzzles, I think, in sub-Saharan Africa is how to sort of switch from a very small company of two to three people into a 10 or 20 or 30. You know, the, it seems in terms of the uh, number of people working in firms, you sort of st- get stuck at, f- at five or six people. And some people will argue that you know, that's the tax thresholds. They don't want to get larger. I, I think it's more complicated than that. But that's certainly an area, you know, that will need, you know, to be looked at in the future. Your research suggests that uh, people involved in, in these informal sector businesses uh, tend to go back to school to uh, uh, acquire skills that they, they feel that they need to advance their businesses. Is the, the government uh, helping people acquire the skills that they need to run profitable businesses? Right. So that's another interesting finding from the, from the analysis is that, as you expect, the formal sector workers have the highest level of education, so they'll have the highest fraction of, of university graduates and uh, high uh, end of the secondary school level. Um, but on the lower secondary, uh, you have a high fraction of, of individuals who have uh, who own household enterprises. Um, that's one element. Then the other, as you point out, is that many of these actually go back and then and retrain. So they find a little niche for themselves, realizing there's an area that they have expertise they don't have, and then they're willing to go back. And so the government has recognized this now in its most recent five-year plan. Um, is looking to ways to sort of link, um, some, for example, master craftsmen with uh, people new at the job so that the, the tools and the techniques can be passed on. The same uh, for the small and medium uh, enterprises. The, the government has identified uh, many business advisors who then will go into the smaller companies, give them advice on how to run the companies, uh, finding ways of access to finance. 
Um, again, trying to share the knowledge that they've uh, benefited from with the, with the rest of the population. So I think, you know, and this is happening elsewhere too, not only in Rwanda, but there is a sense of household enterprises, uh, you know, playing a major role going forward, uh, given the nature of the demographic bulge that will be taking place. So it seems that the, the Rwandan government has recognized the informal sector as being uh, a real opportunity. Um, what else are they doing to sort of help encourage uh, these young entrepreneurs to start businesses? And do you think it's wise um, for them to be focused on that strategy rather than perhaps trying to attract more formal uh, industry? Right. Well, in Finister Rwanda, I think it's trying to work on, on both ends. And, and you, you're right. You often get this argument that um, the major cre- creators of jobs in countries are the large enterprises flying thousands of people. Um, but unfortunately, the reality is that uh, you know you have very few of those companies in a country like Rwanda, uh, and you've got you know the demographic bulge going ahead. So really, you can't just sort of pinpoint one area. You have to you know be as as, as widespread as possible in terms of targeting your your policies. Um, creating jobs and and finding durable employment is clearly not an not an easy task. But uh, I think there is a, a sense out there that. You know, there are needs that these household enterprises have, uh, and the government is, is putting effort in on to improve those conditions. That was Alan Thomas, senior economist in the IMF's African Department, talking about Rwanda's changing labor market. You can read more about the changing labor markets around the world, including sub-Saharan Africa, in the latest edition of Finance and Development magazine. Go to imf.org slash fnd. That's F-A-N-D-D. You can hear more podcasts like this one at soundcloud.com slash imf-podcasts. 